Welcome back. I'm Richard Cazzo, main stage host or speaker stage host here at the RC Show. Always a pleasure to be here and be among you as well, to enjoy ourselves, to learn a lot, to share. Has everyone been having a good time so far? Yeah? I, yeah, I saw you at the last one. We were having a good time. Good stuff was happening. Yes. Well, that's good. And I mean, lots of great vendors here, sponsors and whatnot, and presenters here at the RC Show. If you have, if this is your first time, please be sure to share on social media. If it's not your first time, I know you're sharing on social media. So go ahead. Our hashtag is RC Show. Uh, and you also, you can use Restaurants Canada, CA, uh, on Instagram, Facebook, as well as Twitter. So please do so. Uh, our next presentation is really relevant today. It's called The Elephant in the Room, exploring the relationship between team well-being, business success, and more, presented by Workplace Safety and Prevention Services. So with the current social and economic climate, implementing strategies and programs to address stress in the workplace is not just the right thing to do, it's a priority. And we all went through you know, the pandemic and felt it in so many different ways. Of course, it's something that we should definitely acknowledge. Chris Hall, who's the founder of the Burnt Chef Project, speaks with Jim Taylor of Benchmark um, excuse me, 60 on strategy leaders um, that can be implemented to help mitigate stress and support employees' well-being at work with a special announcement of new services for Canadian hospitality market. But before we get into our next presentation, I also want to thank again our speaker stage sponsors, American Express, Uber Eats, uh, Group X, San Pellegrino, and Farm Credit Canada. So, before we get into it, one last thing is we do have our opening night party. Uh, it is the reception that I always love to attend. That begins at 5 o'clock, so please get your dancing shoes on, go attend, socialize, meet people, pitch ideas, get business cards, and it's going to be a great one this year. We're here with heart and hustle. So, uh, head to our heritage court. That begins again at 5 o'clock. So, here to discuss um, the bios of our personalities is Christy Cork of Workplace Safety and Prevention Services. Please give her a round of applause and let's get started. Hello, good afternoon everyone. Uh, my name is Christy Cork. I am a specialized consultant in workplace mental health at WSPS. So you might notice, I think we've put some things on your chairs for you to take home. Um, if you want to know anything more about our services, there is a booth just over sort of to the back left. Um, but without further ado, I am excited to introduce our speakers today. So Chris Hall is the CEO and founder of The Burnt Chef Project, a not-for-profit community interest focused people, uh, focusing on people's sustainability. After 12 years of working in hospitality and experiencing a mental illness, Chris launched the project to tackle the stigma of mental health within hospitality. Through corporate training, sessions, and merchandise sales, the project grew and now provides free to access 24-7 services and free health and well-being training. Sounds good. Everybody should get the details on that. I'm sure you're going to share where they can in a minute. Jim Taylor is the founder and CEO of Benchmark 60 Restaurant Services, a restaurateur and consultant working to change the way the restaurant industry protects its people and manages its business challenging leaders to think differently, protect people, and change the restaurant industry. We really appreciate having both of you uh, here today to in discuss this increasingly important topic. So without further ado, we start our session. Thank you. Yeah, oh. Thank you so much. So this is a fireside chat, um, but there's no fire. 
which is a bit of a shame. It would have been quite nice. Um, Jim, give us a heads up. I know we've had a quick introduction, but um, tell us, what drives your business? What is it, and why did you start Benchmark 60? Thanks, Chris. Um, really quickly, I think the, the, the message about Benchmark 60 that connects with this discussion is really about that concept of how we protect our people in hospitality. And, you know, most of, I think, the people here have been in hospitality one way or another for probably quite a long time and have probably experienced one way or another what that either looks or feels like or doesn't look or feel like. And, you know, we're really passionate at Benchmark 60 about trying to look at the industry in ways that other industries do in terms of how they protect their assets, in terms of people, how they take care of their employees, how we hopefully can change this ongoing really, really high retention or sorry, turnover number that we face in the hundreds of percentages and, and really sort of change the way that our industry looks at, at protecting its people. Nice, thank you very much. Um, and for those who haven't heard of the Burnt Chef Project, obviously my accent's probably a little bit different to most of the people in this room. Um, so I'm not from around here, I'm from the UK. Surprise, surprise. Uh, but the Burnt Chef Project started as a photography campaign off the back of a lived experience of mental, mental illness four years ago now. And we are now in a position where we're providing education and support systems to 112 countries globally all specifically targeted at hospitality professionals, front of house, back of house, supply chain, you know, even um, Unox, for example, they're one of our partners in Italy and, and UK. So we work with a wide variety of hospitality professionals, not just breaking the stigma associated with mental health, mental illness, but also providing the skills and the tool sets enabled to build a sustainable industry and to start to heal the hospitality community. So we're going to talk a little bit about the stuff that we've learned over the last few years, data, interesting points. But you'll find on the chair some goodies. They're not just the only freebies we're going to give out today. So what we would like is your questions on leadership, retention, mental health, well-being. We want your questions, and we want them so badly that we've got 24 t-shirts here that we will be giving out for free to whoever asks a question. And I really don't want to be taking these on the flight home. So please, if you want a free t-shirt, they are very snazzy. Uh, they do say fuck stigma on them. Uh, so they do exactly what they, sh they say on the tin. And we've got them in various sizes. So don't be shy, hit us with your questions. Jim. I told you it'd be fun on stage with me. What have you learned over the last six months or to a year in terms of what are the current pinch points from your perspective when it comes down to workplace well-being and leadership? Well, there's, there's definitely lots of ways that I could answer that. And I think specifically in terms of how, you know, how we spend our time with the restaurant industry, the, the pinch point that you know, it's no surprise, we're talking about labor shortages still, we're talking about turnover rates, we're talking, you know, I saw a stat the other day, I think that we were talking about last night, that the average tenureship of an employee in quick serve right now is 51 days. You know, and that's a shocking number to me, right? So, you know, we spend a lot of time and have lots of discussion about what are we doing as an industry to, to change that? Because again, any other industry in the world would, if that happened in any other industry in the world, they would stop everything and fix it. 
So I think there's opportunity that way for us to have some good discussion. Yeah, but and what is it that that drives that quick turnover? I mean, because we we've spoken quite a bit about it, and there are a number of things. But what would you say if like the top one thing that you found in your work that actually drives and ensures that the tenure date is is so low? Like 90-day turnover is just incredible. What is it? Can I say it's two things? All right, I'm feeling generous, <laughs> go for it. Well, I think the, the first thing we would say is the, the culture of our industry, right? There's so many people applying for jobs in restaurants now that have never worked in restaurants before. And it's a, a newer generation and it's, it's a, you know, a, newer, a newer labor force. And they're just not willing to put up with the things that some of us did when we entered the industry. So they're seeing cultural things that are happening in and around the business that they're just, it, this is not for me. And I actually think that that's a really good thing for our industry because it's going to force us to look at things differently. The second piece is really around this concept of what the workload of the employee is all about. And this is where, you know, again, we spend a lot of time. There's a difference between hard work and having to work too hard in order to achieve the results that the business is looking for. And, you know, we compare that a lot to how professional sports leagues all of them have that, this load management strategy in place in order to protect their biggest assets, like I said earlier. So those are the two things, I think, the ways that I would answer that. Yeah, and they're really, really valuable points. I think from the work that we've done, so we work with organizational psychologists, and it allows us to get an X-ray perspective on what's going on in organizations. So most of you in this room will have done a well-being survey at some stage, and it's very, very easy with well-being surveys to click a smiley or a happy face, and you, know, it, you don't really know who it's going to or what the underlying message is. However, with our organizational studies, we're actually able to find out what the subtle nuances are. So not what people are saying, but actually how they're feeling. And we've seen in organizations we've worked with that actually things that exacerbate that turnover rate and really start to increase that are small things like not having an induction plan, not really truly understanding what your job role is when you take on uh, an organization. And we know what it's like, it's been hard. We have so much coming at us in terms of demands, not enough resources to be able to fulfill those demands. So we take people on quite quickly. But then people are in this position where like, I don't know what our policies are on menopause or mental health or sick days or I don't know who I report into. And these uncertainties very, very quickly turn into doubts about the right employment and then they, we, people are leaving for those reasons. So there's a load of myriad of reasons, but the thing is, and both of our work shows, you don't need to spend lots of money to fix these problems, do you? Like, what would you say from your perspective is uh, probably one of the, the, the key, key couple of things that organizations can do to start to change that tenure. Well, again, and I'm biased on this, but this is part of the discussion around this talk today is about how it starts to affect the business model. And I think, I mean, you guys spend a lot of time on this uh, as well, but I think the first discussion that comes up quite often is what's the cost of turnover, right? What does it cost to replace an employee? And we were talking about this yesterday, that that could be anywhere from $2,500 to $4,000 to, you know, a lot, you hear lots of pieces of information. But I think there's an opportunity in our industry to really start to understand how hard our people are having to work in order to accomplish what it is we want to accomplish. And I know I already, I already said that, but 
if you think about in any of the positions that you operate in or that we operate in, what it would feel like to all of a sudden tomorrow have to work 30% harder for the same pay. And that happens in our industry in restaurants every single day in almost every single restaurant that we've looked at. Because if someone calls in sick and the sections stay the same or the, the revenue is gonna be the same, then that's exactly what's happening. So trying to find ways to look at that differently through a new lens, measure it differently, those types of things are, are really where we find that there's massive opportunity. Yeah, I would agree. So um, presenteeism and burnout risk within hospitality is tremendously high. And both of us are saying these things, not because we are slating hospitality, we bloody love this industry, but we have to actually look at the realities of it sometimes. And in high, high stress, high demand workplaces, presenteeism is one of the key reasons that at the moment people are not performing at their best. Um, and so for anyone who doesn't know what presenteeism is, and, and this is something that we do during our training, can I just have a quick show of hands from anyone who's worked one day at least with a hangover, please, from the audience? Okay, good, okay. So we know what it's like, that's me. Uh, so we know what it's like to be at work and not really wanting to be there, not firing on all cylinders. Perhaps we're making silly mistakes more often than not. Perhaps, you know, our attention's split or we're just not really firing at 100%. What we're actually finding is presenteeism levels within hospitality are around, in some of the studies we've done, about 56% of the workforce are exhibiting signs of presenteeism significant number of those are at a high to critical risk of burnout. Now these are people that are coming into work. They are taking on that additional 30% of demand. They are perhaps not feeling like they can take time off. And they're actually then not wanting to let their team down because you know when you're in the, I've got to be careful how much I swear actually, but when you're in the poo, <laughs> when you're in the poo, you don't want to let the rest of the team down really. So starting to look at actual presenteeism risks and rates. And I tend to do this thing when we're training about stress mitigation. Um, when we look at stress, one really easy way to try and negotiate stress and perhaps the presenteeism that's associated with it is don't ask your teams, how stressed do you feel? When you ask that question, everyone goes, yeah, I'm really stressed, really stressed. It's not, a, it's not an easy measurement, but actually starting to look at how time feels and when I say time, let's go uh, BC, before COVID, right? We were all in our, in our merry little way and time is normal. And then this thing called COVID comes about and all of a sudden we go to full stop. Like for the first time, yes, there was a lot of uncertainties and we absolutely got hammered as a hospitality industry, but we had some time off. Now for the first couple of weeks, that felt awesome, but then a couple of weeks in, we started to look at the clock and it was 11 o'clock. And then we look at it an hour later and it's five past 11. You're like, what on earth? There wasn't enough stress. There wasn't enough push and pull, right? Then this, over in the UK, we had help out detail, which was just a, a cluster. I can't swear again, so it was bad. Um, and ultimately then people were, had too much on their plate. There was too much demand. And if you ask those people, how did time feel? They were like, I don't have enough hours in the day. I feel like there's a fire underneath my ass. Then when you look at stress and a manageable level, so if you spend time playing sports or you play a musical instrument, just check in with yourself and see how time is. Because the chances are it just dissolves. 
you go, oh, bloody hell, that's an hour. An hour's gone already. I didn't even realize I was having such a good time. Or if you're doing a service and you just handle it without any problems, you know, customer complains, you're like, I've got this, this is cool. And then the, the shift finishes sooner than you expected. So look at where presenteeism and where high levels of stress are occurring within your organizations, but start looking at it from a perspective of time rather than stress and see what sort of answers you get, because that could be quite an interesting tell for you. So we were talking about work-life balance earlier. And you know, there was some, a little bit of question earlier you know, around that. So how does some of this, what you're talking about, presenteeism or you know, the mental health side of our industry, how do you think that's affecting work-life balance? Just a show of hand, who, um, who, firstly, who works in hospitality frontline? Front of house, back of house? Okay, cool. Now, keep your hands up if you do work in hospitality, please. Just for two seconds, you won't get tired unless I keep talking and explaining, in which case you're gonna get really tired. Okay, just leave your hand up if you feel like you've got a work-life balance at this moment in time. He's an ambassador of ours. Hi. Okay, so I think what we have in reality is that actually we don't, we're not quite there yet with that work-life balance. And perhaps it's one for, for question time and you'll get a t-shirt, but like what does work-life balance mean to you? Like what do we need to, achieve. Is it this 4-3 working week that people are talking about? Will that help with presenteeism? In some cases, maybe, but also on the flip side, it might actually increase it because it doesn't work for everyone. So it has to be right for your individuals. It has to be right for your organization as well. Um, but you said, didn't you, it's not necessarily about your work-life balance. It's also about what the work culture is like. You can have that life balance, but when you come into a bad culture, it's, it's not always going to, it, it has to be weighted, right? Yin yang, perfect, perfect symmetry, yeah? Yeah, and, and in a lot of our experience, we're finding that there's a lot of companies, and this is a really good thing, but there's a lot of companies that are spending a lot of time figuring out from a, a strategy and implementation perspective around what are we doing to improve the life part? Right? Whether it's benefits or wages or vacation time or, you know, those types of things. And I think where there's, a, and you're doing a lot of this and we do a lot of this too, where there's a lot of opportunity to start to look at what the work part is about. Because, you know, and, and I say this to people all the time, that the life side is great, but if you're immediately stressed the minute you get back to work, then it's kind of all for naught, right? So there is definitely opportunity to improve that balance, I think. And just to put some context behind this, we talk about presenteers and we talk about stress and, and work, but let's put this into monetary terms for you so that it makes sense. So one of our studies where we found out that 56% of the workforce, and this was a good employer, this was a, a business that's been going around since, since the 80s, 56% of the workforce were exhibiting signs of presenteeism. The work culture wasn't quite right in terms of workload management. The cost to this organization on 141 people was 78,000 pounds a month in lost revenue. Now it sounds, that sounds like a lot of money, right? And it sounds like the, the, that's, that's too much. This is a scientific backed study that showed 78,000 pound a month was being lost due to mistakes, perhaps more conflicts at work, 
you know, these issues due to presenteeism and not having that right level of workload management with an organization. Now, I don't know about you, but running a business, I could do with 70, 78,000 pound a month uh, quite comfortably. And when we start to look at operating profits within the restaurant trade, what are we, between one and 5% if you're lucky, you know, all of a sudden that changes your profit margins from, from into double figures quite comfortably as well, right? Yeah, dramatically, that's a big, I mean, depending on the business, that could be make or break whether they stay in business or not. Yeah, and, and an, an interesting case study that we found ourselves in uh, about a year and a half ago, we were working with, uh, there was some you know, project work happening with a 10-unit restaurant company, full-service restaurants, and part of the discussion was that none of the locations across the board, front of house or back of house, were able to achieve their labor cost targets month on month, week on week, and even sometimes day on day. And the company was starting to have some discussion about maybe it's time for some management change. You know, a lot of our management can't seem to hit their targets, they're not getting good results. You know, we've raised our prices four, five, six times over the last two years, so revenue is really strong, but we're just not seeing the same profit margins. And, you know, I credit this company because they didn't just think about, well, it's inflation and it's, you know, cogs that are going up. So we started to break this down from a people perspective and what it was, what the levels of overall productivity in the business and the employee workload was actually doing to the business model. And so we found that when we connected it to people from an HR perspective, their average employee had worked for the company in 2019, pre-pandemic, close to a year and a half. So this is across 10 full service restaurants. In terms of our industry, that's not bad retention. You know, we'd like to have better, but that was, you know, it was okay. But by the time we were doing this case study, the average employee tenureship for that company was less than four months. So what that told us when we started to actually measure what was happening was the average employee wasn't able, wasn't capable of handling the same level of workload as their counterpart would have been able to a couple years ago. And that's strictly based on experience and training and you know all these different things. So it was dramatically affecting the business model, decision-making around people, and lots of these things. So you know, starting to look through some different lenses around experience level and training and workload and those types of things are, are definitely coming more to the forefront, I think. Yeah, we haven't even talked about turnover rates yet, have we? Um, should we play a game of higher or lower? Do you know how to play higher or lower? Okay, this is probably one of the most unique chats you guys will have watched today is, sorry, this is how my brain works. So, game of higher or lower, I say a number, and you will say either higher or lower, right? It's a bit of fun. So, average turnover rates in hospitality. We'll start with a number. Who's just, someone shout a number at me. 80, did you say? We'll start with 80. Right, guys, are we saying higher or lower? Come on, you know, I need to see hands. Lower, lower turnover rate. No, it's higher, I'm afraid. Sorry, you have to go. <laughs> okay, so it's higher. What else? What other number have we got? 120, do you say? Did, 120. 125% is the average turnover rate in hospitality. And that's what actually businesses that we work with are targeting their turnover rate to be, which means it's previously higher than that. Now, again, putting this into context, so you work in an office, if anyone who just worked in telesales or anything like that, all of your colleagues in an office of 100 people would have left in less than 90 days, plus an additional 25 people. And your manager's job is to try and keep that going at that rate. So 
When you're looking at the costs, you say two and a half thousand dollars or four, up to four thousand dollars, and you're looking at that level of turnover, this is a really, really important subject matter, and it's great that you're all here listening to it now. But where do we go? Like, what? what's next on the horizon especially now like the current climate it's it's tough out there there's um, an increase in costs there's an increase in labor perhaps people are feeling a little less resilient or a little less trained in these areas they're a little bit greener into the industry what do we do about it I don't know if that's for me to fully decide but um, you know I think a really I was having a discussion with someone on the on the uh, show floor this morning about this around the concept of responsible target setting for the business. And I know that, you know, obviously, uh, restaurants are a thin margin industry to begin with. But there is a certain level of responsibility, I think, that w as industry leaders, we have to understand that the industry is changing and set responsible targets that will allow our people to have good training and be comfortable in the culture and get to know their job the way that, you know, you've been mentioning. And this, this, you know, understand that it's not going to change overnight. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, leadership training is part of it. We were talking about skill gap shortages, weren't we, in the hospitality, because you have such a high turnover that often enough you'll find that promotions are quite quick within hospitality. It's one of the great industries. You'd be an operations director by the time you're in your mid-20s, earning a decent salary, which is fantastic. But also the other side of things is that actually what we see is there isn't that, that leadership training. There isn't that management training. And so when you're putting someone in charge of a team of 12, 20, 30, 100 people, and they found their way by title but not necessarily experience, that's also going to have a damage. And it's not their fault. You know, they're doing what the business has asked them to do. So looking at leadership training, formal leadership training in terms of effective communication, rotor management, empathy, emotional intelligence, reviews, performance reviews. So over in the UK, the businesses we work with have changed performance reviews to coffee and chats. And I said, why did you change them to coffee and chats? They said, well, every time we said we were going to do a performance review, they thought they were going to get told off. I said, okay, how's coffee and chats going? She goes, people, people don't like them. I said, why don't people like them? Well, because they think they're going to get told off. <laughs> the issue isn't with the fact that it's the coffee or chat or the wobbly doubly or whatever you want to call it. It's with the way that it's being managed. And so training in those areas and actually how to have a psychologically safe conversation with an employee who can give you feedback about how they find it and how they find you. And also you can give them feedback as well that allows them to be able to develop and grow rather than having that, that harsh chat. So leadership training is, is huge. And, and you're operating in 112 countries, working on trying to find ways and implementing ways to improve mental health in the restaurant space, right? F stigma is the, right? There's some keychains and stuff. But yeah. wh so what, I mean, there's, by show of hands, there was a bunch of operations people here. What, what's your advice? What do they do? Where do they start? That's such a loaded question. Where do you start? The first thing that I would always say is what, is, what does your people say? What, is, what does your people say? What do your people say? What do your people say? 
I, was, I did a, um, a podcast recently with a chap, Michael Nazero. He owns a restaurant in New York. And uh, he used to serve people like Dustin Hoffman. And, like, he's an you know, old school maitre d', like 40 years in the game. And we had this chat and he said, oh, Chris, I need to know what to do in order to be able to like, address all these issues. It's the industry, it's the, it's the people, it's blah, 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 blah. And this podcast goes live in a, a couple of months. So if you haven't listened to our podcast, do so. It's called The Burnt Chef Journal. But at the end of the call, he said to me, on the end of the podcast, and unfortunately recording had stopped at this point, but he said to me, I'm going to go into my restaurant and ask what my people think of the business and what they think of me. And he sort of laughed and he said, in 40 years, I've never done that. Never. And there was like this paradigm shift, this penny drop moment. And he went, thank you. So go into your organizations, speak with your teams, ask them how they're feeling, what they're doing. There's a, um, over in the UK, there's a HSC, the Health and Safety Executive, have a stress risk assessment. It's a legal requirement in the UK. One business in the last three years has had one in place. I've not seen anyone actually conform to this legal requirement. But don't let the legal thing put you off. The stress risk assessment is a fantastic tool for you guys to sit down with your team and go, right guys, we're gonna look at demands today. What is it that your job provides that's demanding and that perhaps elevates that stress or as I said earlier, increases that, that feeling of no time, not enough time. And speak to your team about that. Your KP might go, well, the dishwasher keeps breaking down and I get absolutely slammed and it really screws me up during service. Oh, I've got to be so careful. Hospitality, sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Um, so, you know, during service, when things go wrong, you get them fixed. In that moment, you kick it or you wrap something around it. Service finishes and you go, I just want to get home now. Then the next time service comes around, the, the same process continues. So sitting down and looking at demands, role clarity, support, communication. Again, sit down with your teams. How do we communicate with you? Well, via WhatsApp on my days off. How does that work for you? Well, it really screws with my day off. If I've had one day off in seven days and you're getting a preach, right? Yeah. You're getting that message come through. Ping, where's the colander? Ping, have you ordered the wine? All of a sudden, you're straight back out of holiday mode, that rest and recovery time, straight back in. But until you have these conversations with your team and you ask them these open questions, you don't really know where to begin. And we've probably all dealt with that. The, the example that I always use, and I will never be able to live this down because um, my amazing wife won't let me forget this, is that our wedding, our honeymoon was the first time in seven years that I turned on my vacation notification on my email. I'm not sure if that's magic or tragic. It's tragic. <laughs> oh man. But it like taking that time off. I think also from if any of you are leaders in this in this in this field here, if you are managers, operations, if you're business owners, is giving yourself permission to take time off. Which if you work in hospitality, right, it's a drug. We like that that push. We like that stress. Uh, and I'm caught. I'm, I'm stereotyping here. I personally thrive off of it. However, what we have to realise is one that we need to set an example to our teams that it's okay to take time off, because often enough, it's not what you say, it's what you do. And if you're not taking that time, the rest of your team go, well, 
I might only do 35, 40 hours, but they're doing 80, so what's wrong with me and why shouldn't I do that? And also be prepared to actually know that you're not going to be at your top performance unless you do set an out of office and you give yourself permission to be off. And a lot of you now are probably getting a little bit, well, oh, that feels a bit uncomfortable. Think about how you need to get there. Think about what things and steps you need to do. Think about what life was like before mobile phones, you know? If you didn't have a mobile phone, would you be able to be on call 24 hours a day? No, your team would be empowered enough to be able to know exactly what to do in the case of emergencies to get that fixed, right? So give yourself that permission to take time off. I'm conscious of time and I've got 20 t-shirts I need to get rid of. So I hope you've all been listening uh, and you have some fantastic questions. If you do, there is a microphone in the middle. All I need to know is your question. We'll answer it for you and I'll lob a t-shirt at you. Go on, guys, don't be shy. Hello. Okay. Hi. <laughs> um, so I work in a Brazilian bakery. It's like small. We have like two locations in Toronto right now. Um, and based a little bit in, in what you said in the beginning, um, we have a high turnover because most of the people that come to work, they are Brazilians, but they are not like in the food industry. Um, I got passionate about food uh, here in Canada, so I'm moving to this area right now, but doesn't happen to most of the people. Um, on the other hand, some of them, they are like really good in what they are doing. Um, so I don't know, I just want to hear some thoughts about it because I'm feeling afraid to lose those employees, um, but I'm not sure yet if they are going to stick with us. Um, so I don't know if you have any experience in those like thousands of country, uh, hundreds of country that you work at. Um, and yeah, that, that, thank you. Okay, so there's two things there. Firstly, you say you've got a high turnover. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what your turnover rates are currently? Not sure. Um, right now we are actually like really small. We have less than 20 people working for us right now. Um, but. In, like we have like three departments, so it's the pastry, bakery, and the front of the house. And I would say the front house, it's we have the most turnover. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Which is often enough we see it the other way around. Back of house back tends to house. have a, a, a higher turnover. Um, what are the people who have left saying about you or your, your organization? Have you spoken to them? Have you done exit interviews? Um, I'm sorry. Can you repeat? So when people leave, do you? give them a form to fill out as to, to what the feedback is on the company? Um, so it's something that I was um, looking forward to do, um, just because we have some people uh, leaving the past year, and I thought about, I don't know, doing an online research, like an anonymous thing, but because we are so small, I feel some of them are not gonna trust to answer, because we have like a team with five people and if they mention something about you know it's gonna be like oh they will know that it's me talking about this because it happened only with you know what i mean yeah i do and and you have to embed confidentiality and you have to really show people that yeah. the information that they give you whilst they're in employment yeah. is good but one thing that we miss is that data point and both of us we're geeks we love data but if people are leaving your organization, and I'm not saying this as a reflection on you or the business at all, 
but they're leaving for a reason. And the sooner you can actually speak to the people who have left, okay. the sooner you can start to establish the reasons and why they're leaving. Because until that point, you could be looking at rotor management, you could be looking at salary, you could be looking at induction plans, training. It could just not be the right working environment for them. So by asking those questions, those open questions, and saying, why have you left? What is it that we're not doing right? Because we want to fix it. You might find that actually, although some of that feedback might be a bit difficult, no, no, yeah, that would be a fantastic yeah. port of call. <laughs> yeah. Irrespective of what nationality you are, um, I'm not going to sing and start dancing. Please, come and grab a t-shirt. Does that answer you? Does that help at all? Sorry. Have a rifle through there. There's, the, there's all sorts of sizes. I don't, I don't usually do this. Um, right. Next question, please. Good, good afternoon. Would more breaks help increase productivity? I know it seems counterintuitive, but you know, traditionally here they give you one break every three hours. Would maybe a break every 90 minutes be better? Have you ever tried that? I'll take this one. Um, so what I always encourage operations teams to look at is not so much what individual productivity looks like, but what the whole business at, as one entity looks like from a productivity perspective. Because what that'll do if you start to find a good way to measure that is it will also help you determine the threshold for when it becomes a workload issue, right? And so you can start to implement things like let's try the, the added break or let's try a four day work week or let's try adding another person to the schedule and you'll immediately be able to see what's happening with how productive the whole business is as at, at one time. So things like added breaks, you know, I don't think either of us can necessarily answer yes or no that will fix whatever problem there is, but I think what I would encourage you to do is find a way to measure how productive the business is and then start to try things and see what happens. Because I think it's, you know, measurement is one thing and, and just trying new ideas and implementing new strategies is, is a big part of moving things forward. Yeah, and also try to address the problem, I would say. You know, find out if people do want additional breaks. Again, ask the question. This isn't going to be my answer to everything, by the way. Um, but ask the question, do you want more breaks? Or what would you like to be doing during your breaks? Because again, another thing that's often missed is people might be taking their breaks, but they're sat on the curb outside, when in fact, actually, they might want a seat in somewhere that's warm and somewhere that's been provided for them. So it's not necessarily about the length of time that you have the breaks or the regularity, but the environment they're in. So, you know, measure that productivity, as Jim says, but also speak, speak to your team. Because otherwise, what we perceive to be the fix or the solution sometimes may do more damage than good. Okay. Grab yourself a T-shirt, sir. Thank you. Hi there. Um, sorry. <laughs> Just first of all, Chris, I've been a really big fan. I've been following the Burnt Chef Project for... Um, several years now, just like really upkeeping with it. So it's a pleasure to meet you um, and just, yeah, fantastic. Um, I have kind of two questions almost. You can choose to answer both of them or one of them. Um, just one of them being is, we've talked a lot about how, what leadership can do as far as, you know, asking your employees through exit interviews or just while they're still employed, what can we do to change the environment? But there's also something I've noticed that it's not always management, it's kind of a trickle down effect is that, 
I've had coworkers come in to me say, what kind of mood is so-and-so in today? Because they know that if this person's, this management is in a mood, then it affects this person, then it affects your coworkers, and it, it changes the whole team dynamic. So just wondering if you have any insight or advice on that, um, and what you kind of see if, if there's a different approach, management wise versus um, employees on the same level. So are you talking about senior leadership team, yeah? yeah? Mm -hmm. This is a tricky one, because in order to instigate a cultural change within an organization, it has to start at the very top. The CEO, the business owner, has to set that precedence, because if they roll out things like, you know, core pillars in terms of values for the company, but they're not actually living by those, it's a non-starter. I think if there are, if you're feeling like you're having to middle manage and actually having to almost like, like, like with a parent, you know, if you're playing them off against each other, then there's probably a, something there that needs to be addressed. Now, is that your position to do that? No. I mean, do you have one-to-one -one reviews with your senior leadership team? We do. We do have exit interviews, but I'm more talking about like, like just for, for an example, there are often times where like I'm not sick, but a, a coworker has called in sick, and it's not just management; it's other coworkers who are all saying, for part of my language, you know, we're all in the poo now, and right, it's all of us. You know, it's not just management saying, "Oh, well, that messes up the team." It's all the coworkers as well who are saying, "Oh, well, I could never call in sick. I couldn't imagine letting my team down like that." They would have known two hours ago that they were sick. Why didn't they let us know earlier? So it's that kind of. It's not just management that's like as much as they try and help it it's also the co-workers and other employees in different departments that breeding of discontent right yeah. that yeah um that's quite a common thing that i think both of us see in, in a lot of hospitality businesses that negative that negativity surrounding people taking time off because they need to um from a management perspective there should be a zero tolerance on that sort of stuff like you don't want to be breeding that sort of content at all um, from an individual side of things, I think you just need to, from my experience, just let them know that if people need time off, then they should have time off. Am I causing problems by getting a queue of people? <laughs> just timing-wise. Oh, okay, <laughs> cool. Um, I'll, do you want to have a chat about that afterwards? And I'll, yeah, I'll sure. Give you I have more. a couple more questions for you as well. Oh, okay, so, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to let him ask a question. Wonderful, we'll thank after. you. Come and grab yeah. your yourself a T-shirt. Thank you. Sorry for, uh, for timing issues. Hi, could you I came here late. Could you introduce yourself? And if you're a business owner, give a pitch. You're going to pitch to us? No. Are you a business owner? You introduce oh. yourself. If you're owner, business owner, can you do a little pitch? You, you want to know about me? Yeah, can you introduce yourself? I came here a little bit late. Oh, okay. No, that's fine. So, yeah. um, I am... Uh, the CEO and founder or whatever titles that people call themselves uh, of a not-for-profit, it's a mental health, well, it started off as a mental health campaign to raise awareness for mental health issues, uh, but we have inadvertently uh, opened Pandora's box on trying to heal hospitality and make sure that it's running focused on people and sustainability of people practices rather than plastic or, or you know, those other good things. So. We provide mental health support, we provide leadership training, we provide mental health training, we provide data points, we provide some really cool merchandise, so we sell and ship merchandise around the country, around the world, 
uh, to raise funds for the work that we do. Okay, thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks for your question. Come and grab a come and grab a T-shirt. Any more questions? Any more? So, we are talking about uh, mostly about the management or colleagues' behavior, but I have a question about the how to control the patrons' behavior because the COVID has given enough time for anyone that works in industry to understand their worth. So. So how do you control the patron's behavior? If someone is trying to humiliate you purposely because they are spending $50, $60 for their drink or dinner, so how do you control that? Yeah, that's, that's something we, we hear a lot about, just how the customer base, how they've changed the way they behave in restaurants. So it sounds like you're talking about actually customers misbehaving in the restaurant, potentially. Yeah. I think the, you know, going back to what Chris was saying around asking questions, that, you know, I think I would try to get really clear on, you know, is there a certain part of the experience that they just aren't enjoying and that's why they're potentially acting out? Because I think everybody knows that menu prices have increased quite a bit over the last few years. And I think in some ways that connects to customer experience expectations. I mean, if it's somebody who's just unruly, I mean, not to give you direct advice on what to do, but I would just ask them to leave because it's gonna you know, negatively affect your, your employee experience. But you know, I think there is, in some cases, a connection between how pricing strategies have changed, how that connects to customer experience, and then if we don't deliver on that, what that does to how they react. So there's, it's probably, you know, we could probably have lots of discussion about what's causing that and what the concept is and all those things. But again, I would, I would start to ask, you know, what are the reasons why they're acting out? And also empower your teams. Train them in conflict resolution. Because again, what we're seeing is managers are ex experiencing quite high levels of burnout because they're the ones who deal with the conflict all the time. But actually, the sooner that you empower your team, do role playing. I hate role playing, but it has its place. And if you can get your teams to start to learn how to s handle a, a situation like that effectively, it reduces the demand across and then it breeds this culture. Actually, we won't be spoken to like that. We hope you have a pleasant stay and you enjoy your journey or, or your food or your experience with us, but we are not gonna be, there's certain tolerance levels, but train your team on how to handle those situations so that that load is spread. Come across a t-shirt. And, and I think in terms of questions, unfortunately, I think we're out of time, but uh, Chris and I are gonna spend some time uh, on the side of the stage or at a table over there. If any, we would love to chat with anyone who's still interested in in asking a question. I think there's lots of ways this conversation can go and, and thank you so much. Cheers guys, thank you.